0: I want to welcome all the non lake house owners of Heartland Church this weekend. It is so good to see you guys, and thank you for spending your Labor Day weekend with us. My name is Brian Bigger, and I'm actually the student director here at Heartland Church, and Pastor Darren has asked me to close up this Character Matters series by talking about Nehemiah. And this entire series has been premised on this one scripture from Proverbs, Proverbs 16.3, And it simply says, commit whatever you do to the Lord and your plans will succeed. And we usually read that and we think, when I commit the plans I have for myself to God, he's going to go ahead and make those successful. And as Pastor Darren and some of the other speakers have been showing us is, it's not so much about the plans we have for ourselves, but the person we're becoming. And God is much more interested in our character than our comfort or even our accomplishments. So I'm so excited to dive in today. Will you join me in a word of prayer before we get started? Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to come together and learn from your word. And we really believe it has the power to transform our lives. And I just pray right now that you will help every person hear what you want them to hear so they can do what you want them to do. It's so in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Well, when I think about this Proverbs 16 scripture, there is one word that sticks out to me more than any other word, and it is that word succeed. And that's something I think about a lot right now because I'm at that age and my generation right now, we are trying to get our careers started, we're trying to get some momentum, start your family, and so you're paying your dues, you're putting the long hours in, you're trying to climb this ladder so hopefully you can build up enough momentum to set some kind of trajectory for your life that can happen for the next few decades. And it's kind of frustrating for me because I feel like this target of success keeps on moving. because. Every season of life, I feel like, just demands this different level of success because I talk to students and I ask them how they're doing and they're like, I'm in 17 AP classes, 12 honor societies, my ice hockey team's going to Iceland next week for a tournament, I need a 3.97 GPA to get in that college I want to get to and hopefully I can finish publishing that book before I start second grade next year. (laughs) And I'm just like, the standards of success in every season of life are just demanding and crazy. And we even have this kind of general agreed-upon just story of success, this kind of success storyline that goes something like this. Find a good job, make some good money, get a house, pop out 2.37 kids, raise those kids up to become productive members of society, pay off that mortgage, retire somewhere warm, Find a nice, comfy hole to lay in until Jesus comes back. And if you can do all of that with a minimal amount of pain and suffering, you have done pretty good for your life. And I remember, Nicole and I, we started our lives out. She's my wife. We started in Chicago just building up our careers, getting ourselves going, trying to save up some money. And after a while of being in her job and trying to climb the ladder, she came home in just this frustration. And so in this moment of tension, she just says, 50 more years of this? Like, is this it? I feel like I'm on a treadmill. It's like the movie Groundhog's Day, and there's got to be more to this. And I tried to console her like a good husband, and I was like, well, I mean, you're going to be able to spend those 50 years with me. (laughs) And it did not work at all. I think it actually made it worse. (laughs) But, I mean, this idea of success is just kind of so pervasive in our Culture. And I want to just talk today about how should we really define success or should there be a different goal we're even striving towards in general? Does God have different standards that we should be aiming towards? And actually, that brings us to this character, Nehemiah. And we usually don't think of Nehemiah as being kind of like a Moses or like a David or one of those great characters of the Bible, but I really think he is really one of the great men of the Bible and even of history. And he shows up in this very interesting time in the history of Israel because the entire nation is absolutely decimated. I mean, Jerusalem is in ruins. Their whole country is a mess. And all of Israel is in exile in this nation of Babylon. And so Nehemiah grows up in this context, and he actually becomes a pretty successful guy by the standards of that time. He gets this position called the cupbearer, to the king, which pretty much means he's like in the advisory council, you know, he has the king's ear. And he actually even has this little perk. He gets to taste all the wine before the king drinks it. And I don't know if it's really that much of a perk though, because he's tasting it to make sure it's not poisoned. So if he dies, King doesn't drink it. So I don't know if that's really a perk of his job. But the thing I love about Nehemiah is he's not a pastor or a prophet Or even some religious leader, he is a man living in the real world trying to figure out what it looks like to follow God in the marketplace. And he takes this whole idea of success and he flips it right on its head because you can summarize the life of Nehemiah pretty much in this one phrase, which is, my goal is not to be successful. My goal is to obey God. And we're going to see as we look through Nehemiah's life, he leaves a life of success and comfort and status to pursue this calling that God has on his life. Not because all of those comforts and successes are bad or wrong, but because at the end of the day, his goal is to really do what God wants him to do, even when it costs him something. And so if you brought your Bibles, I would love for you to open up to the book of Nehemiah. If you had no idea that there even was a book of Nehemiah, that is okay. No shame in Table of Contents. He does have his own book. But here's kind of the setting. Nehemiah is living in Babylon, and they've been doing this for decades, and actually some exiles now are going back to Jerusalem to try and rebuild the mess of a country that it's become. And they're trying to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. And I mean, we have to understand how important this is to them. Jerusalem is not just a pile of dirt, of land. I mean, this is the land that God promised to them, that he brought them to from Egypt. It's at the center of their identity and culture. And so rebuilding this nation is an absolute priority for them. And so they're starting to rebuild the walls and get the temple going, and Nehemiah just kind of asks these guys how it's going. He wants some updates on this rebuilding project, and he gives an account of this conversation in verse 3, chapter 1. And this is what he says. They said to me, those exiles, those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So Nehemiah is so devastated by the situation that Jerusalem's in that he just can't even eat and he's just praying and crying, but he does not stay in this paralyzed state. He actually gets so fed up with frustration over the situation that it drives him to action. And he gives us this first insight. If we really want to do what God's asking us to do, then we have to find our burden. And that is the first point. Find your burden. Here's Nehemiah. He hears about Jerusalem. He's so broken about it. He could not imagine the city staying in the state it was in. And so he gets to such a strong point in his heart that he's like, somebody's got to do something. It might as well be me. And he is compelled to action. And I believe there is a point in every Christian's life where God puts something so strongly on your heart, it's almost nagging feeling, that you cannot ignore it, and your only choice is to respond and actually take action. And you know it's a burden when it is absolutely terrifying and intimidating because God usually asks us things that are extremely uncomfortable. I mean, just just think about some of these other major characters of the Bible, Moses. I mean, God says, I want you to lead millions of people out to this promised land, this great calling. I'm gonna put this burden on your heart. And Moses' first response is, I can't even talk. And then God's like, all right, we'll take care of that, okay? And then he's like, can you just send somebody else? This is too much of an ask. I mean, even Jonah, Jonah gets asked by God, puts this burden on his heart to go and preach the city of Nineveh, and the first thing Jonah does is he hops in a boat and goes in the entire opposite direction. I mean, even Jesus has this strong burden on his heart to fulfill his purpose of redeeming the world To himself, and the night before he fulfills that purpose through his death and resurrection, he is begging God to take this cup away from him, this burden, because he knows how much it's going to cost. And I actually think about the first time I really started to feel like a burden experience in my own life. I had no real strong direction or passions from God, and when I left for college, I kind of had this little agreement with God, you know, I would still go to church. I would even tithe as long as he kind of left me alone to do what I wanted to do. So I had this great plan to just go into the medical field in some way, found that major, did all those things, and I start to feel a little tension inside of my heart, and I had no idea what was happening. And so I just nonchalantly write in my journal, I think I could be a pretty good pastor, But honestly, I want to be able to afford children and a decent lifestyle and not be consumed by my job. But whatever happens, I will probably be surprised where I am in 10 years. Understatement. And (laughs) this little tension that started happening in my life became a full-blown burden. And over the course of a few months, I just started wrestling with this passion of the local church and thinking about, how it transforms lives and God uses it to reconcile relationships and help people find community and spread the message of Christ's love to different communities and around the world. And I was wrestling because I really felt like God wanted me to act on this conviction that started forming. And so I actually still remember that night. It was a Friday night in my dorm room and I remember finally getting to this point. I was just feeling it so strongly and I finally just said, God. I would rather try and do what I think you're asking me to do and fail than always wonder if you were calling me to something greater than I had planned for myself. And I made the hardest decision I had made up to that point in my life and just changed my major, was terrified of losing a scholarship I had and had no idea what the next step was. What do you do when you think you're supposed to go in ministry? I have no idea still. But... I did all these changes, and you know, it's really awkward when your friends and family ask you, you know, why'd you make that decision? You're just kind of like, well, I think God told me to do it, but I'll let you know if it blows up in my face and doesn't work. (laughs) So make all these changes, very intimidating, terrifying, and I will say it has come at a cost, but I could not imagine doing anything else. And I have such peace about knowing I'm like right at the center of what God wants me to do. And sometimes I even cringe at the thought of what would have happened if I didn't respond to that burden God started putting in my heart. And when I talk to certain people, I can always tell when they got a burden. Like when I talk to potential volunteers for our student ministry, I know they've got it when they come into my office and they're like, Brian, Brian, I do not want any students repeating the mistakes I made in high school. If I can do anything to tell them that it doesn't work and those things won't make them happy, I would just love to do that. I've got such a burden to help them avoid the mistakes I made. Or they might come in and say, God put such an amazing person in my life when I was in high school or middle school. I want to be that person for them, and I want to absolutely change the way their life goes through my influence. Actually, we're going to be having a guy come and speak to our students in a couple of weeks who has intentionally committed himself to a homeless lifestyle because he feels such a strong burden for the homeless of Indianapolis that he actually has given his whole life to it. When you talk to him, he just cannot stop talking about it. He bleeds homeless people because he feels such a strong burden for him. And I even actually, I talked to a woman in our church recently and... She was abused as a child and just went through some horrible things. And she could easily have just been so full of bitterness and anger. But God took that experience and turned it into a burden in her life. And now she wants to give her life to helping other women who have gone through those things themselves. Because God has really just moved in her to help these people. I just want to ask you, have you ever felt a burden from God? Has there ever been something that you just felt so strongly that God wanted you to do it, that you knew the only thing you could do was respond and do something about it? And even though you know it's gonna come at a cost and it's gonna require some sacrifice, you know you just have to do it because God's asking you. And actually, Nehemiah, he responds to this burden and he goes to Jerusalem, leaves his life of status, security, and comfort. Goes to Jerusalem, starts helping rebuild this wall. And it sounds kind of simple, you would think. a Couple bricks, some concrete, bada bing, bada boom, wall. And it's not as simple as it sounds. He runs into some of the most profound problems and setbacks you could imagine. And actually, if you have any desire to respond to some type of burden, that God's given you, or even if you just want to follow God at all, you are guaranteed going to face these two obstacles that Nehemiah faces. And here's the first one. It is resistance. You are guaranteed going to face resistance. And when we pick up the story in chapter 4, verse 7, Nehemiah's in Jerusalem. He's starting to build up this wall a little bit. And this is what happens. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod that is, a lot of people, heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. We so often think resistance is like a sign that God's not in what we're trying to do. You know, the minute we face resistance, we're like, oh, God must not want me to do it. You know, I'm having some friction at work, don't like my boss, maybe I'm supposed to change jobs, or I tried serving in the children's ministry and a kid threw up on me, so it must not be my calling. (laughs) Or just this relationship is getting hard, so they must not be the one, because if God really wanted me to be with that person, he would have made it very easy. And yet, when you look at Nehemiah, the fact that he's facing resistance is confirmation that he's at the center of God's will. It's actually a sign that he is doing what God wants him to do. And any time God asks you to do something, you are going to face some resistance. I mean, again, let's think of some of these characters we were talking about. Moses, he's supposed to lead all these people out of Egypt. Ten times he gets the door slammed in his face from Pharaoh. And God keeps telling him to go back. No, 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 no. Resistance, resistance, resistance. Even though it's exactly what he's supposed to be doing. Think of Paul. I mean, God audibly tells him to go start churches and spread Christianity through the Mediterranean, and he gets imprisoned, he gets beaten, and even gets beheaded when he tries to do what God asks him to do. Even Jesus, I mean, the one guy you would think who would not face any resistance, Jesus, has Pharisees and religious leaders and even his own disciples trying to stop him from doing what God's asking him to do. And so Many times, I think we face some resistance and we think, God must not want me to do this because it's hard. And I think there are so many opportunities that are missed and just dreams that are crushed because we ran into some resistance. And students, I just got to talk to you for a second. Following Jesus is not necessarily going to make your life easier. I mean... Don't be surprised when you get misunderstood, gossiped about, made fun of, or even lose friends because you're trying to do what God asks you to do. Because the minute you start telling people, I think I want to save myself from marriage, you're going to have them saying, what are you, prude? Do you not like guys? Do you not like girls? Or if you have that moment when you're like, you know what, I don't think I want to get involved in what's going on this weekend because I think God wants me to do something else. And your friends will just say, well, then I guess you're going to be spending this weekend at home by yourself. And I think a lot of us, when we get to a point of strong resistance, we give up on relationships, causes, convictions, because our attempts to change something or get involved in something are met with resistance. And think about Nehemiah. He could have been so mad at God. I mean, God, I left this job. I left this country. I came here to this pile of mess, and I'm here. I have good intentions. You asked me to do it, and now all these people are coming against me, and nothing's working, and it's falling apart. I mean, he could have gotten bitter and just gone home. And he doesn't do that at all. And actually, he gives us the perfect recipe for when we face resistance. Look how he responds to the resistance when he faces it in verse 9. All these guys are coming against him. Things aren't looking good. And this is what Nehemiah says. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. So Nehemiah, he doesn't get bitter. He doesn't give up. He just does two things that completely change the situation. And I first heard this as a student, and it has become like a personal mantra of mine. And it is to spray and pray. Now let me go ahead and explain myself. Okay, give me a second. Spray and pray. Now when I talk about spraying, I'm talking about doing everything in your power to see through what you know God's asking you to do. Everything you can do. You are spraying, you're doing whatever you can. And at the same time praying, you are going to God like it all depends on him. Because you know at the end of the day, it does. And Nehemiah, he faces this resistance. He doesn't get discouraged. He doesn't give up. He says, we prayed. God, help us. Um, There's a lot of people who want to kill us right now. And at the same time, he still puts up a guard 24-7 to be ready for the resistance. And some of us, we're more the praying type. You know, you face a problem, and you just get on your knees, and you're like, God, I am not leaving until you fix this. I'm going to sit here and wait for the solution to come. Just drop it in my lap. I'm not going anywhere. Or if you're a little bit more like me, you're kind of like the spraying type. And when you feel like God's not acting quickly enough or doing anything, you're like, all right, I guess I'm taking matters into my own hands. And I'm going to fix this myself. And Nehemiah, he does not see these two things as opposed to each other. He says, I'm going to spray and I'm going to pray. And I actually had a huge spray and pray moment this summer. We had our first high school camp, which was awesome, by the way but it was not awesome at all leading up to it. Because we spent months and hundreds of hours and all this money getting this thing organized, all the logistics are planned, everything's set up. And two days before the camp, I get an email from an organization that we partnered with and we were renting some space from and we had this all set up and they sent me this little email saying, Brian, We're sorry to inform you, but we met with our board and we just think it's gonna be too much work and too much effort and not worth the cost to work with you guys, so we're gonna go ahead and breach the contract. Sorry if this creates any inconvenience for you. (laughs) So after I picked myself up off my office floor, I had this first moment where I was like, all right, Time to call Nicole and vent and yell and scream and do whatever I can to try and release this tension that I'm starting to feel. And then I stopped myself and I was like, wait a second, Let's pray and pray. And I just said, all right, God, you're gonna have to do something here. We are two days away from an epic explosion and I get up and I just started doing everything I could. I was getting on websites, making phone calls, asking for favors, and that was probably the longest weekend of my life. And still don't know why God had to do it that way to me, but in the way only he can, the end result ended up being even better than what we had planned before. And I just, yeah, it was great. It was great. And I just think, what if in that moment, when I read that email, I just thought, well, I guess God doesn't want us to have a camp. You know, I guess I'll just refund everybody's money and give up. And I'm just glad at least in that moment I was able to say, you know what, I still really believe God wants us to do this. And I'm not just going to let some canceled contract stop us from doing what God wants us to do. I'm going to do everything I can to make this happen. And I'm going to pray because God has to do something for this thing to work out. And actually, Heartland Church is a testament to the spraying and praying of Pastor Darren. I mean, if you hear some of his stories, he did so many things that just defy logic or reason or sound judgment or anything wise. (laughs) And he comes to the city he's never been to and just knows that he is called to reach the people of this area and buys a house before there's any guarantee that this church is going to survive. And even this building was a huge spray-and-pray moment when asking for six months of free rent and just the crazy that that required. And we would not be here today if Pastor Darren did not push through that resistance and just believe that God wanted him to do it even though it was hard. And I wouldn't be employed, so I am so glad (laughs) that he pushed through that resistance. And I just think there's probably a lot of us in this room Who are just one spray or one prayer away from a breakthrough because a lot of times the resistance you're facing is not a sign that you're not in God's will but confirmation that you're right at the center of it and so Nehemiah resists the resistance and continues building this wall. And so his opposition is like, all right, this guy's a little bit more determined than we thought. Time for plan B. And they go after the next obstacle that we are guaranteed to face, and that is distractions. Distractions. Let's pick the story up in chapter 6, verse 2. Like I said, Nehemiah is back at building up the wall. Things are going well. Opposition comes back, and this is what it says in verse 2. Sandalot and Geshem, their parents did not love them because those names are horrible. Dude, I hope that's not even in your top hundred of options for your kids. Sandalot and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? And so these guys are trying to get me and my off mission, whatever they can do to stop him from doing what God wanted him to do, they're going to do it. And a lot of times I do think there's negative distractions in our lives, you know, things that we end up doing that hurt us, lead to a ton of pain and regret, and we wish we never did. But at the same time, I think. There's a lot of good distractions in our lives that prevent us from doing what we're really supposed to do. And I kind of like to say it like this, we must not allow good things we could do get in the way of great things we should do. And I was talking to a group of guys a few weeks ago, and I was just kind of interested so I said, so how do you guys do your Bible time? You know, how often do you read it? What does it look like for you? And Every single one of them was like, oh, it's so random and sporadic. We're so busy. we got so much going on. We can't really find good, consistent time for it. There's just too much going on. These guys were 10. (laughs) And I'm like, you guys can't even drive yet. How are you too busy for this stuff? And they're just like, well, we got sports and activities in school, and the pressures were just overwhelming them. And... It's just crazy because a lot of times a lot of good things we're doing can choke out what God really wants us to do. And I think a lot of us just need to declare that we are in a I cannot go down season of life. When you look at Nehemiah, he says, I cannot go down from what God is asking me to do right now. And some of you, your young families, You've got some kids and you have limited time. You are trying to juggle so many things. And you just need to declare, I cannot go down. My priority is these kids and I am the only parent they're gonna have. And even if it means I can't do a lot of good things, I am not going to get distracted from raising this next generation of world changers because that is my calling right now. Or maybe you're Young or single or don't have kids, and you have a little bit more freedom and flexibility, and your temptation is going to be to try and fill a lot of your free time with entertainment and social life and make sure you have something to do on the weekends. And you have to say, you know what, I cannot go down. I have to make sure I use this season of life and this time to really do things that are going to have an eternal impact. I want to help build up the church and be a part of doing things that really matter and not just get distracted by being busy. And it's just scary because sometimes a lot of good things we do get in the way of the things we're really supposed to do. And I told you, Nicole and I, we were kind of getting our lives started in Chicago. And we kind of bought into that cultural definition of success. So we're trying to build up our careers, get some money saved up, get things going. And it was just a very fast-paced time of life. And we affectionately refer to those years as the dark years. (laughs) Because Nicole says during that season of life, she got to know the back of my head better than me just because we were just doing so many things. And we actually got to this point where we just hit a wall. And we were an emotional, physical, mental wreck. And if that damage wasn't bad enough, I still think the worst thing was there was significant spiritual damage done during that season. And actually, I remember coming home one day just from the craziness and everything going on and feeling all the pressure and just all that, good things, and I remember writing down just in a moment of desperation, this season of life is soul-crushing. And Nicole and I still have some of the scars from that season, and we've learned a lot of painful mistakes that we would never want to repeat. And sometimes I talk to people and ask them how they're doing, and they're like, oh, we're busy, we've got all this going on, and we're doing all that. And they make it sound like it's so harmless. You know, like, that's just how life is. And I actually get really worried because I'm almost certain there is much more significant damage going on in their souls that they don't even realize. And at some point, they are going to hit a wall and have a wreck. And what a shame it would be to go your whole life being in all these activities and all these commitments and doing a lot of good things and completely missing the thing God really wanted you to do. And when I think of the perfect example of someone who really fulfilled their purpose and responded to that burden and carried it out, it is Jesus. Because think about it. When he was alive, there were so many expectations of what this Messiah would be. They thought he would be some type of military, political figure who would lead Israel into this new era of prosperity. They had real definitions of success for this. And Jesus didn't buy into any of that. He had so many opportunities to get distracted. I mean, there were more people to heal, more crowds to teach, just more of a following to gather up. I mean, he faced more resistance than we could probably ever imagine. Satan, religious leaders, his own disciples, and his internal struggles he even faced himself. and He persevered through those. And he accomplished the greatest feat in human history the redemption of our souls through his death and resurrection. All because he would not let anything prevent him from doing what God wanted him to do. I just want to ask you today, what is that burden God has put on your heart? What's that thing you just know he wants you to do and you cannot ignore it? Are you letting some distractions get you on course, even if they're good things? Are you facing some resistance that's maybe tempting you to give up when you really just need to spray and pray a little bit more? Because here's the thing. As Christians, our goal is not to be successful. Our goal is to obey God. Will you pray with me? Lord, we just thank you so much that you carried out that burden you had for us to save us. And even though it came at such a great cost, you would let nothing stop you from fulfilling that purpose you knew you needed to fulfill. And now we get to experience all the benefits of what you've done for us. And so I just wanna pray for every person in this room help us identify those things you're putting on our heart, those burdens we really feel that we need to respond to, even though they're intimidating. And when we identify those things, Lord, I pray you give us the courage and the conviction to carry them out. And when we're tempted by distractions or resistance, that you would just help us persevere, that we would remember Jesus and know that Even though it may require a lot of sacrifice, it is all for your glory and it will all be worth it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.